Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, lovely people. This is Marie Alessi with another Upspile Grief interview. And today I am so happy to have Nicole Okimura with us because Nicole and I have got a very parallel story with our very unique takes and um, details on it. So, Nicole, without further ado, can I get you to introduce yourself to our audience, please? Sure. Hi, Marie. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Nicole. And my story, I guess, is I was widowed in uh, the end of 2019. My husband had brain cancer and I was living in Japan at the time. So that's the parallel connection with Marie. I'd lived in Japan for 20 years and losing my husband meant I lost my life in Japan, basically. Mm. So I moved home and COVID and everything accelerated all of that. And I moved back in May 2020. Wow. And Nicole, where did you actually meet your husband in Australia or in Japan? No, I met my husband in Japan. He was the older brother of my host family's Sorry, he was the friend of my host family's brother. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> so what did you do? What did you do in Japan in the first place? Um, I went there on a working holiday because I thought if I go to Japan for a year, I can learn Japanese. So I was very naive at 20, thinking that it. that would happen. And of course, <laughs> of course, that didn't happen. It took a long, long time and a lot of study. So yeah. But you are fluent in Japanese now, I guess, living there for 20 years. It's incredible. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I I would love for you to take us down a little bit uh, down memory lane and describe how that was for you. So you went there on a holiday visa unexpectedly. You met your husband there and then you spent 20 years of your life there. Tell us a little bit how, uh, because it is such a different culture to us, Japanese and Australian, you know, like it's, it's really quite incredible. And I remember when I think back of my of my flight attendant days, I'm talking like, you know, when I was a spring chicken, I uh, remember we had cultural trainings for various countries. And I so remember them talking about uh, the Asian culture and how Chinese, Japanese are so different from each other already, but so different to our Western culture. Um, how did you adapt and adjust to that? Because you always are an outsider in a Japanese culture, in particular with the looks that you have, you really don't blend in, you know? So tell us a little bit about how that went for you. Um, okay. I So I think the first thing is it was before the internet. And I like to think yeah. that that helped me. So I moved to Japan in 97 mm-hmm. and we <laughs> didn't have a smartphone wow. to Google translate what I wanted to say or anything. So I was very much me and like an adventure and Mm. I was naive I think I didn't know um how difficult it would be and Mm. I just thought it was going to be a year and a half in Japan Mm -hmm. and of course I met my husband a year into it and Mm -hmm. um yeah it was kind of one of those I was the last person my friends would have thought would get married at 20 at 22 and I guess I just fell in love and it was basically love at first sight and we couldn't communicate very well. And (laughs) I was going to Japanese language school at that point. So I was trying my best, but anyway, Mm. um, now I look back and I think it was, it's kind of funny, but at the time it was very serious and I was trying so hard, 
Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we we were married for four years and he um, had a seizure and that's when we first found out he was um, he, he was sick. So um, the the journey of brain cancer was actually 15 or 16 years for him. Um, yeah. But wow. after the first um, treatment, he had 15 years of healthy, normal life. Mm-hmm. So Incredible. Um, yeah, and I think we really didn't take that for granted. And for me, that was like the main key. But the living in Japan side of things, I guess it just became so normal. And mm-hmm. I guess you feel like that in Australia, but... Japanese culture for me is now so normal and yeah, yeah I, I don't fit in necessarily with my looks but mm-hmm. I guess once you learn the language and the culture they yeah. do accept you as one of them if you're making the effort. That's beautiful. So, and where in Japan did you live? Um, the first 14 years I was in Fukuoka which is down kind of near Nagasaki Yeah. and the last six years I was in a very the smallest prefecture in Japan and very much in the rural side of things in Kagawa Mm -hmm. which is on another island off Osaka. Well and uh, so yeah I've I've only ever been to Osaka because that's where uh, Austrian airlines flew to when I worked (laughs) for them so (laughs) I remember I had my very first sushi in Osaka in a sushi train so that's um, that's my my only memory of Osaka. (laughs) I've got a few more but we're not going to go there today. So um, what did you actually do like what did you do for a living when you were in Japan? Um, at first, I was teaching English and mm-hmm. um, as a second language, yeah. And then yeah. I, because I was going to Japanese school, I was a student. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a student visa and I was mm. studying full time and working part time. Um, and then later on, I did a lot of part time work as translating and interpreting. Mm-hmm. So I've always taught English as a second language. Um, and then I just worked other jobs and of course my husband wasn't well enough to work so and they don't Mm. have a welfare system so yeah I did a lot of yeah the working that's incredible I I would like to actually go into your husband's story a lot more as well You, you said he had 15 years of his journey with with brain cancer which is unbelievable and and it's such a gift as well you know to have been gifted so many years um how did you support yourself through that journey because you know you you are in a country where you've got literally no family apart from your husband's and you don't speak the language fluently and then all of a sudden you have to deal with hospital and doctors and and it really like you know from my own experience when I came here English was my second language I was really fluent in English so I, I was already quite a few steps ahead in that terms but living in another country is a whole other level you know that's when you realize how many things how many words you don't know and in particular when it comes to sickness to doctor's appointments you know how did you get through this and and who supported you throughout that journey Mm, um how did I get through it I think I was on automatic pilot a lot um and I think that's why after my husband passed away I initially kind of crashed Mm. Um, but who supported me? My family in Australia. Um, yeah. I'm very close. I'm still close with my husband's brother and my niece and mm. nephew, but we had very poor support from his parents and it's mm. been a lot I've had to work through about that because they could support yeah. us, but they mm-hmm. didn't. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I don't mean financially. I mean, they could have financially, but basically emotionally and all yeah. sorts of support. They just re sort of refused. Mm -hmm. um, I have very close friends in Japan, and that was another reason why it was very hard to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I, can I just imagine after twenty learned, years you, you build an entire life there. You know, yeah. I I learned the language quickly. I think well, when I say quickly, it's a huge long mm. process. But I learned yeah. the language I needed to know. Like I know a lot of brain words and and mm -hmm. treatment words in Japanese that I actually don't know in English. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but yeah. in my psychology it unit, I can that so I study, relate. Yeah, I, really I didn't know that. these. Yeah, I don't know these words in my native language and I know them yeah. in my second language. And yeah. Um the last, when my husband's brain cancer came back as glioblastoma. So the the final mm -hmm. year he was um terminally with grade four glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. Um the doctor, his doctor was just wonderful and he offered to speak English to me and my parents and my mm -hmm. auntie and my family that came to Japan. And oh, that was a real godsend. Um, mm -hmm. I'd been used to dealing in Japanese with medical professionals for so many years, but um, I think there's a lot of things that you need to hear in your native language to totally comprehend it. But then the medical mm. system's so different and they don't tell mm. you that it's terminal and they don't tell you yeah. lots of things. So it's just culturally it's very different as well. I he, just wanted to say it's also a very cultural thing in Japanese to not tell you that it's terminal. They, they really just prefer to give you positive news. You know, that's, They told yeah. my husband he had grade three brain cancer and they wow. told me it was glioblastoma and I asked the doctor and they just said, we don't want them to give up any hope. Mm. And it's like, wow, in the West, they tell you straight out. Yeah. And yeah, anyway, that was the cultural thing. I, I must say for my husband, he he didn't know and I had to tell him because he asked me directly and I told him. Yeah. Um and that was really difficult. Like nobody should understand. have to tell their husband. Yeah. Um, yeah. That must be so confronting. And I, I can so relate. I see so many parallels, you know, from the story. And, and even when you said you went to Japan in 1997, that was the year that I came to Australia for the first time. So it's really yeah. funny. It's the exact same year. Um, yeah, I I can't even imagine what it would be like, you know, having to be the person to tell your husband that he's going to die. It's, it's incredible. And to be so straightforward and having to work through the cultural um, aspect of it as well. I, I have to say, when I listen to your story, I can understand both sides of the story, both sides of the cultures, you know, the wanting to give them hope. That's beautiful because I really feel that people need that. That's really the, the thing. There's a saying in Austria that that uh, translates to hope dies last. There's a similar saying in English, but I don't ever remember what it's like. But it's that holding on to hope that we really need and that helps us, you know, but there is a time in our lives where we want the truth, where we wanted to hear, like, straightforward, give me mm. give me what I've got, you know, and uh, for you to have to be the one to create that balance. How did you get through that? I didn't explicitly say to him that he will die. Mm. And um, part of me sometimes thinks that that was a little bit selfish, but my husband had this very interesting way of coping with his illness the whole time he was um he was for the 15 years that he was not actively fighting brain cancer 
He yeah. never, ever knew the name of his illness, like the actual tumor name. He was never wow. interested. He never Googled it. He never asked yeah. any special questions at the hospital, even though he had regular MRIs and was on, was taking anesthesia medication. So when I told him, he asked me whether his tumor was grade three, and that's what the doctor had told him. And I said, mm -hmm. it's grade four. And that's all I told him. I didn't explicitly yeah. say this is terminal and you're going to die. Yeah. I said, you know, you're doing well with the treatment. And I yeah. also believe in holding on hope, on to hope. Um, yeah. But it's difficult. Um, I did a lot of, I guess I was just an automatic pilot, but I also talked to my parents and my auntie and my cousins and obviously mm. my sister and my friends to to get it out and to try to verbalize yeah. my own feelings. And I tried, I just tried not to tell him, like not tell him, I tried not to show him my sadness and stuff. I mean, everyone's yeah. different, but for me, mm. that was really important to go to the hospital with a big smile on my face and yeah. wear lots of color and all that. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful because I think it's all part of, you know, holding on to hope. And then that's what you do till the very last minute. Like I think. I, I don't know. I never had that in my life, the knowing. I mean, we just shared briefly, you know, that my, my father-in-law just passed away. And with that, we did know that it is going to happen and it's going to happen soon. But we had no idea when. Yet it is such a different relationship, of course, that you have to your father-in-law, that you have to your husband. And um, when you have, well, in our case, we had young kids as well. And I almost think, in hindsight and and i i really don't want to compare this because there's there's always there's never a good way of dying i would say you know or for for the family left behind there's never like really a good way but you can find peace in it you can find blessings in it but that takes time it takes time to heal it takes time to and you said yourself you know you came home to australia you you crashed at first and um how how did you how did you actually make the decision if you don't mind me asking you know like how long after your husband died did you leave or, and when did you know that you had to come back what what helped you through that process or did you just know well it's funny I went to Japan by myself at 20 and I'm fiercely independent and I knew I could mm. live there like that was the culture I'd embraced and I yeah I loved and everything was so normal and actually mm. Australia, the thought of living in Australia is almost a, com a foreign concept because I have never yeah. adulted in Australia for a long period of time. Yeah. So for me, it was that side of things was quite difficult, but it actually came down to the fact of I am going through the biggest thing that will ever happen to me. Mm. And my at the end of the day, it's my immediate family that I need. Like I... My parents came yeah. to Japan so many times and I know that they would have come back to help me for a short period of time, mm. but I needed their support um, yeah. for the long term. And um, I guess that was it. Like we had a house. I had a solid job with the most amazing boss and workmates and my best mm. friends in Japan. And I mm. had... You know, my niece and nephew and brother-in-law lived around the corner and we'd had this mm. sort of happy family life for six years. And then I kind of lost a lot of my identity when he passed away. And I yeah. really feel like I came. So 
my story is a bit strange, but this is the first strange thing that happened. My, <laughs> my husband passed away on the 10th of December 2019, just before the summer bushfires. And I live on the mm. south coast of New South Wales. Mm -hmm. And my dad had come back in November because he had to protect and prepare the house. Yeah. So my sister came to, my mum was still in Japan. My sister came to Japan and then my sister was leaving the 22nd of December and she said to me, why don't you come back with me? My husband's wishes were to be scattered in Australia at the sea, which is very strange. Really? Japanese wow. people go into like a family grave, which is like an yeah. Italian style, you know, yeah, um, very grave. He kind of broke all the rules. <laughs> I love it. And he told his brother and not me because he really wanted those wishes to happen so anyway yeah. my sister and I brought back his his remains um mm. on the 22nd of December and we came straight back into a bushfire and we evacuated wow. twice and whatever but while I was here I was here for about three weeks and my mum said to me one day she just said just when we were having coffee or something she just said you know you can always move home oh. And it was just those words. And it, yeah, yeah, and it seems so little. And I know, you know, no. but for me, that was just the release I needed. And I like yeah. it even brings a tear to my eye now. I needed to hear that it was okay to yeah. go, here's my little yeah. white flag. I need yeah. my family. Oh. And I can always go back to Japan <laughs> if I want. Yeah. I'm a permanent resident. Yeah. yeah. But I just need home. That's so, incredible. I went back to Japan in the middle of January and mm -hmm. as I was going back to Japan there was this story about this illness in China and Chinese weren't coming to Japan for their normal New Year holiday and all this was mm -hmm. going on and I thought right I've got to sell the house I've got to talk to my boss I've got to do these things and then sometime this year I'll work on moving home because it's such a mammoth thought yeah and then COVID just all of a sudden, as we all know, it kind of just came. Set everything up. My parents kept saying, okay, we don't want to worry you, but the Australian government yeah. is going to close the border. Yeah. And wow. I know you're very much into signs and um, mm -hmm. and those <laughs> sorts of things, but my house, which was in the rural Japan, yeah. sold by the first person that saw the house. <laughs> I'm having goosebumps. This like is the first incredible. person, she walked in incredible. and she said, I want, she not only said, I want the house, she said, I want all the trinkets and all the little things like, you know, just like little things that you have yeah. in your house. Yeah. And she was like, oh. I want the pictures on the wall. I want, if you don't mind. And I was going to have to throw them out. OMG. That, that is just, oh, picture perfect. Yeah. So I saw the waiting house. for a sign. Here it is. I spot. sold the house in the middle of March and I and I'd got on a plane. Oh, it right. settled on the 15th of April and I got on the plane on the 22nd. <laughs> oh my God. So literally from the 22nd of December to the 22nd of April. And Basically. he just went back. So because everything that, was so oh. chaotic and trying to pack up and trying to like be very pragmatic, what has to be done, very systematic, yeah. what do I have to do? When yeah. I did move home, I went into quarantine for two weeks into Sydney. <laughs> yeah and everyone says to me oh my god that must have been awful and I'll tell you now no. Marie it was amazing yeah I can I can so imagine just, I had just two that weeks. coming to terms and just that at a really thing. nice hotel in Sydney oh. with a bathtub yeah and a window and I just oh. had time out 
blessed. That sounds like heaven to me. Like seriously, I have to say, um, it is incredible those parallels. You know, I made my decision um, in end of March, and I, I got a job offer here in Australia. And I said, I have to go home and, you know, pack up and say goodbye to my friends and family. I want to do this properly. And I did. And then I flew back home, I think, on the 1st or 2nd of April, quit my job, packed up everything, and then came back here on the 1st of July. And, you know, that was just just like that. I, it took me seven years to come to that spot of finding the way into Australia. But when I had it, the decision was made and I moved. And, you know, like just what you said, it's just really incredible. I just saw, it's really funny. I um, need to put my glasses on for this because we just got a few comments through and I just want to see, first of all, uh, hi, Shalina, hi, Jackie, and another Jackie. It's, it's funny. Um, I have a similar story of my husband passing and moving and selling the house easily and going back home. My mom gave me the gift of the book called You Can Come Back Home Before I Left. How beautiful is that? Wow. I need to look up that gift. Uh, Jackie, if you don't mind, maybe you can share the author in that. Um, you know, when you said that sentence, um, Nicole, you, you can always come back home. It almost made me cry. There's something so, um, yeah, I have no words to describe that. There's something so soothing in that you can always come back home. And it's interesting because I did not decide to go back to Austria after Rob died because I had already made my decision to live here um, before I met him. And interesting enough, though, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. I have to share this with you. Over the past three weeks, it started three days before my father-in-law passed. Um, I have been getting such intense signs all the time Rob has been around I could feel him and the weirdest thing that's been happening that in zoom meetings all of a sudden you know when you get the reactions the thumbs up um, I get thumbs up throughout my stories and I just had another one now when I was talking about this and I'm like thumbs up I'm like thanks Rob I'm not even <laughs> touching the screen and I get the thumbs up as if I'm putting on the reaction it's so bizarre anyway now I lost my train of thoughts that really distracted me <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the, the, no I can't remember now uh it was something about oh yeah people were asking me you know would you move back to Austria now and I was like why no it's uh but there is something around you know being being with family being with friends yet I never had that really close relationship with my family unfortunately but you I have your do, boys your I do home. have a very close relationship to my in-laws and my boys our home here it's their world you know so it would be a completely ripping them out of their world and friends and what they need right now is stability and their circle of friends so yeah you're absolutely yeah. right and I can so relate to that I never have that I feel it is such a gift though to have those two weeks of just arriving just being nobody in your ear no analyzing the situation just coming to terms with it is really incredible so I think it's it's amazing because so many people said oh two weeks in quarantine in a hotel I'm like bliss I'll take that and it was it was really nice chance to get um to get used to Australian life I got to sort yeah. of um yeah. I know this sounds silly but I got used to the food a little bit and I got used to yeah. speaking English with the people in the hotel and I got yes. used to the TV and isn't it so bizarre when you don't speak your mother tongue for a long time <laughs> it is really quite incredible I mean mm. you do speak to friends and family but I, I 
yeah, me being bilingual as well, my brain constantly, like even during interviews, sometimes I have this one word that comes in in German. I'm like, oh, how do I say that? Or like, I really struggle when I have to do proper talks in German. I really struggle with that. I want to, I want to go back to some comments here. Um, so we had, it's an illustrated children book. Okay. It's adorable. I have to find it and let you know the author. Yes, please. And then we have Shalina here. I chose to complete uh, to completely leave my home, the home that had been so very important to me that I fought so hard to keep suddenly became something I no longer felt a connection to. And and Shalina, I know your story. It's really funny because Shalina is my parallel universe in Canada and you're my parallel universe from Japan. And it's like, there's so many parallel stories. You and Shalina have to meet one day, I can tell <laughs> yeah, you that. And knowing Shalina's story, you know, it, it was, you really did create your new you with that home and this is what actually brings me back to you Nicole to the next question we talk about that uh, in our pre-chats that whole finding yourself again because you said you kind of lost your identity with your husband and uh, was that a bit of you were Oki's husband uh, sorry Oki's wife is was that your identity and then you had to find out who you were or what, what was your perspective of that finding you I think some of it must have been that because for you know such a long time you you're um somebody's wife that's one of the boxes yeah. you tick on the paperwork yeah. and you identify yeah. as that that's who you belong to and yeah. when you have this face and that last name mm -hmm. that's also the relationship I always constantly mm. explaining oh no I'm married to a Japanese man yeah this is yeah. my husband and that was part of my identity mm. and I think um for me that was part of it but also it's this leaving Japan and I had this huge difficult time and to be very honest it's only been since I've been back for two years that I'm able to kind of understand what was happening but yeah I culturally identify as Japanese in a lot of what I do yeah. and I know that as a white woman that sounds strange but I've learned through it doesn't, my studies. You lived there for 20 years yeah yeah <laughs> and incredible. I've yeah, through my social work studies, I've realised that that's a normal thing. And if um, people that come to Australia say something like that, Australians are like, that's wonderful. You you know, you're an Aussie now. And it's like, well, yeah. what's the difference when I lived there? So yeah. a lot of it was definitely that. my um, The cultural identity, the language, the food, the people, mm. the interactions, the how you have relationships with people the hierarchy in the culture and all these mm. other things that I, I just didn't know how to adult. And then yeah. I came back to Australia into COVID. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that was huge for me in this also, I'm not sure if um, if you can relate and um, your listeners can relate, but I, um, I obviously now you can see me wearing like really bright clothes and bright headbands mm -hmm. and I've got my walls in my bedroom decorated. I love it my art and I other love art. love love the pink flowers it's yeah <laughs> but I struggled with color because I'd lost yeah. myself and I yeah. I started wearing all black and I I didn't want to wear my color and I didn't know how mm. I felt and I wasn't depressed throughout this whole thing I haven't had something called depression yeah. but I just didn't know what I was who I was and I always yeah. used to wear color and my husband loved mm. me wearing color and anyway I found that when I wear colour, I feel good. And I heard this phrase mm -hmm. called dopamine dressing. And I thought, actually, that's... I love it. I know. It's so cool. I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I cool. found this Australian um, brand of clothing. It's this dress is that as well. It's called Gorman. And they're super mm -hmm. colourful. 
and I may have it might be my vice buying colorful dresses <laughs> but I don't drink and don't smoke so that's my thing <laughs> makes me I feel good and I found myself yeah. I found myself yeah. again I've got this you know I know who I am and I think we know mm. who it is about me it's not mm-hmm. of course I loved my husband and I, I still love my husband and he was just such an amazing person but this experience that I'm in right now is about me and how I mm. relate to myself, how I relate to the world. And I have to be myself and I have to, I had to learn who that person was. And yeah, she's all right. I've got used to her. <laughs> she's absolutely beautiful. I really love, I love that we connected, Nicole. It's incredible. Me too. Um, we haven't, we, we still have a, a few minutes left and I just want to ask, what is if if you can put that in into one thing but you know you you have as long as it takes really um what is your most important i I don't even want to call it takeaway i always talk about the hidden gifts and adversity what is your important most important gift that you received throughout your husband's passing if you don't mind me asking um obviously this thing about finding yourself and realizing that you're a whole person and that you know you have Mm. this identity but I think for me it's finding that um it's it's this actual realization of what is important and whether that's family and close friends or whether that's your um the job that you throw yourself into and you feel like you know you um are making a difference or whatever that purpose is not just purpose Mm -hmm. but for me I think it's it was just been having this massive realization of how much I value my my family and when I say family Mm -hmm. I don't just mean my parents and my sister and my Mm -hmm. you know aunties and cousins and I've got a very big family but Mm -hmm. I'm talking about those friends that are not just friends they're the friends that are the chosen family yeah and yeah. I think um, when you go through something so profound that your mates from school have got your back, I was at a funeral mm. this last week and I was very worried about going and I messaged a really good friend from school and said, you know, are you going? Can you come with me? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come with you. I've always got yeah. your back. And mm. I just thought, do you know what? That's what this is. That's what this has taught me, that there are these people that are so important yeah yeah and I I truly see the value in that more than ever it was also one of my biggest highlights to really find and and recreate your inner circle and by recreating that is sometimes people from your past and I, I don't know if you had the same thing for me I felt like there were people there that I truly deeply thought they would support me and fell off the bandwagon as in like really we're not there to support me um and I'm saying that with a whole lot of love and respect because it took me a while but I've now learned that they too are grieving Rob and they were grieving him in a very different way to me so they couldn't relate to the path that I had chosen so they didn't know how to deal with me and I fully respect that there is no malintention it was just our path went the other way basically and I really say that with so much peace in my heart now it was very painful at the time and there was a lot of learning that came with it but then there were also those people 
that came out of the woodworks that I would have never expected. And I remember at the funeral being there and Mikey, one of my long lost friends, that was a really, really close friend of mine. But then, you know, I had family and he didn't and he had family later. And so our path went a, a different way. Again, no malintention, just how it happens. And all of a sudden he stood there at the funeral and I was so touched that he was there. And he was there with his wife and uh, it, it was just really beautiful to see people pop up from out of nowhere that I didn't expect to be there and just to to recognize that opportunity in that adversity to create your inner circle that is really there to support you, no matter if they do understand the choices you make or not. They have not walked your path. They have not lost their husbands. They might not be able to relate at all, yet they choose to be there for me and they choose to have my back no matter what. And those are the friends that I really, really value in my life. So I think it's about recreating that inner circle, redefining that family of yours. And I'm putting family under quotation marks because it does include the chosen family as well as our blood-related family and redefining yourself you know that who am I after loss that's the biggest question and you walk that path and you seem to be very clear today on who you are and I am so deeply touched and honored that we have met so randomly on Facebook through some <laughs> comments so I just really love when that happens and uh, I want to truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for your time and before I hand over to you for some final comments, I want to check because I saw a few more comments come through and I just don't want to miss out on them for you. Uh, where were we? I'm getting more into embracing uh, color again too. Just actually recorded this, uh, reordered these colored glasses that I had, but they got lost during my move. They go into a slide with a light and help to affect us in different ways. Love it. Hey. Jackie, you're very educational here today. Please, please share. I love it. And Shalina, again, I love how you say that you really evaluate what's important. I've learned how to prioritize me, to love me and give myself the time and energy that I needed. Yes, my family, my children, they're all important, but so am I. Love it. And that's something I needed to discover in my own journey. See, Shalina, you, Nicole and I, we need to meet <laughs> somewhere in the middle Probably Japan. Yeah, <laughs> that's Canada, the middle. <laughs> and here. And uh, like, seriously, like Chalina always planned to come to Australia anyway. So we'll embrace her with open arms. And Nicole, you and I will meet in person very shortly. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. So is there any final words that you would like to share before we conclude today's interview? Um, there's something I just re remembered that next week is Oki's birthday. And oh, I... Um, yeah, I always get asked, you know, well, what do you do? And, you know, lots of mm. widows have these sort of set things and I do this and I do that and I and I do yeah. this and that's fine. But mm. for me, I found that quite stressful and quite um, maybe a little bit um, too much. Mm -hmm. So I have embraced <laughs> this idea of no man-made rules. There's no should, no must do, ha no have mm -hmm. to. So Love I just it. do what I feel like on the day. Um mm -hmm. Two years ago, that was getting ridiculously drunk with two friends. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I don't usually drink, but I needed it. Obviously. I just wanted to say you said no alcohol, no, no smoking. <laughs> Last year, I yeah. just went and sat at the beach where we'd scattered his ashes, but I didn't oh, push nice. myself to do that. I just did it. Yeah. And then this year, so next week, mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I have a couple of, it's actually a week of intensive university um, lectures for me. So I'll be mm -hmm. very busy, but I'm not sure. And that's the point. I don't want to make plans to make myself stressed and overwhelmed. Beautiful. And I'm embracing this no man-made rules approach. Mm -hmm. But that's I really like it. that. That's that's <laughs> such a beautiful approach. And I'm so grateful that you got to share that. Uh, so Oki's birthday is just a couple of days before mine. Yeah, 25th. Beautiful Virgos. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Marie, for having And uh, are you actually in our group? No, I don't Nothing think I Love am. After Loss. I will invite you in. And uh, if anybody has any questions for Nicole, uh, she will come into the group. I'm fully putting you on the spot here now. And uh, <laughs> That's fine. It'd be my pleasure. Yeah, and then you can get back to, to any questions or comments that you have. And Nicole, have a beautiful day. Thank you so much for being here. This is Nicole and Marie signing off. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about Loving Life After Loss, please visit mariealessi.com. I shall see you next week. Bye.